Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, it's Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I'm your host, Tom Sun. I got some of that um, classic Star Wars enthusiasm flowing. And it's funny, it's a little bit strange, that it was a Vanity Fair article and a set of uh, photos that caused it. Um, yeah, you may, have, uh, you may be aware that um, yesterday... Uh, Van Star Wars and Vanity Fair have a, uh, a long relationship. And also, uh, Star Wars and photographer Annie Leibovitz also have a, uh, a long-standing relationship. Um, when they come together, good things usually happen. Uh, yeah, so this Vanity Fair article came out yesterday with um, new interviews, new photos, a nice little uh, documentary video about the photo shoot with uh, Leibovitz and... Um, it, it 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 triggered a bit of that uh, that uh, Star Wars hype feeling, which is really nice. Yeah, I've I've missed it. Um, I have to like when that first Kenobi trailer dropped. I was like, looks pretty good. <laughs> it didn't have that like boom effect that uh, Star Wars trailers generally have on me and. Um, yeah, not sure why. Now, since uh, I recorded the last episode, we've had a second trailer. Um, so before we get to the Vanity Fair article, I would in fact like to um, take a look at the trailer. Do a bit of a trailer reaction here. Um, it's definitely cool. Um, how cool remains to be seen. All right, let's... Uh, I'm going to hit play on the trailer. Um and we'll react as it plays. Here we go. Here we go. All right, so... A bit of a... Um, a version of Duel of the Fates theme there. We see... Coming. I mean, that's cool. That, that's always threatening. They're coming. Stay hidden. Get to see the, some Inquisitor's shots. This is on Tatooine. Uncle Owen in the distance looking nonplussed. See the homestead again. Um, Leave us alone. Okay, this is the bit. Comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father. Ooh, that just, that, that lit the souls random up. He's gone. Yeah, okay, we'll get to that. But... Maybe you've been looking yes. Ah, uh, see, it's funny. This is having an effect on me now for some reason. Bam. Sorry, I did actually plan to, um, <laughs> talk during that, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> when there's Star Wars happening, it's hard to actually talk. All right. Uh, that did kind of hit the spot a bit. As I said, it, neither of these trailers have really gotten me, like, jazzed the way that the film trailers do. 
Um, but I had a fun time watching this. I mean, I've seen it like, what, five, six times at this point. Um, cool to see Kumail Nanjiani there. Um, Reva or Reva or Reva or however you say her name. Her voice sounds really awesome when she's like screaming like, you can't escape him. That's good stuff. Uh, I'm getting more excited about that character. Like, it just, I don't know, there's been a lot of, you know, kind of photos of her with the two lads because um, they're on the promotional trail now and it just, I keep getting reminded of just how great she was in the Queen's Gambit. Um, so, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, the, you know, the Grand Inquisitor doesn't look the, doesn't look the best. Let's see how it looks with you know within the context of the episodes. Maybe he'll look much better. You know who knows? We'll just probably just get used to it. Who who knows? I heard I've heard a lot of people say, "Wow, it looks really cinematic." To me, it doesn't look. It still doesn't look like a movie. Um, but they're working on a fraction of the budget and with you know, half the time that it takes to put a film together. So that's to be expected, I suppose. Um, Ewan looks great. Interesting. We haven't seen him with the lightsaber yet. I think that's very much on purpose. They're saving that for uh, when it happens in an episode. Um, interesting stuff with the, you know, Vader getting his bits put on at the end there. Um, yeah. But yeah, that... But <laughs> the burn hurt around the galaxy. Like you trained his father. <sighs> wow, yeah, it's funny, it's one of those things that you hear and you you know every, like, Star Wars fan on the planet is having the exact same reaction. I remember sitting down watching that that trailer for the first time and just being like, ooh, sick burn, and that's uh, how everyone feels about it as far as I can tell, yeah. So, yeah, it's cool, um, the hype is swelling in me now. Um, even though I have some reservations in a way. But uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. All right. Um, I think we're ready to jump into talking about this um, Vanity Fair article. Let's take a look. Now, I think the thing that re like made it exciting for me is like I'm, I'm down for G Kenobi. Um, not as down as a lot of other people are, but I'm still, you know, I'm excited for it. Um, but this uh, article and that the the cover with that incredible shot of uh, Kenobi and or Din Djarin and Ahsoka Tano all together, it just looks awesome. It really does. And I just think, like, I'm really excited for Andor. I feel like that is going to be something I'm really going to be into. And... Um, I mean, it just feels like it got announced ages ago. We got a little tiny, you know, introduction kind of feature it ages ago. There's been some set leaks, but basically, it's it's just like that. We've been we've heard nothing for so long, and now, bam! There's a an official image of uh, Cassian Andor. Great to see um, Ahsoka again as well. Uh, she's awesome. So let's. Yeah, that that cover immediately 
pretty freaking iconic, man. Loved it. All right. So the article starts off uh, nice stuff with Diego Luna about getting invited onto the show. I think it's interesting. I, I'm a bit confused in some way because um, I feel like someone got hired as showrunner and then they had to step away because of blah, blah, blah. And then someone, you know, there was COVID and the, that person didn't want to go and go, uh, spend their next three years in London. So they passed it on. I, I get, I'm very confused about the timeline on all that. But according to this article, it definitely seems that it's Tony Gilroy who's um, running the show right now. Um, he was the one brought on to Rogue One. Um, he uh, did a bit of punching up on the movie, uh, on Rogue One's scripts for the reshoots. Um, but he uh, wrote the first four Bourne movies, which is pretty big. And he wrote Michael Clayton, which I haven't seen, so whatever. Um, whatever, Trevor. Yeah, but um, listen, I, I think I, th those characters involved with Rogue One, I get them all mixed up. But I think this is the guy who basically was not particularly interested in Star Wars. But they brought him on to work on Rogue One. He did a good job. And now he's going to do this again. It's interesting. Like, of course, I, I, I kind of want people, you know, Dave Filoni types who are in love with Star Wars to work on Star Wars. But um, that guy, you know, he's, he's shown that he knows what he's doing. And you're maybe going to get an interesting, interesting um, perspective uh, from someone like that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I, I'm calling that a positive that uh, his name is still on the list. Um, okay, then the article goes on to talk a bit about uh, Lucasfilm's early, um, you know, uh, attempts at small screen Star Wars, about the scripts, about the test footage and how it all got shelved. Um, interesting enough. Um, yeah, they talk about uh, Ahsoka coming up, blah, 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 blah. Um... Here we go. Let's listen to Tony Gilroy talking about Andor. Uh, he says, This guy gave his life for the galaxy, right? I mean, he consciously, soberly, without vanity or recognition, sacrificed himself. Who does that? That's what this first season is about. It's about him being really revolution-averse and cynical and lost and kind of a mess. All right. So the story begins with this, the destruction of Andor's birth world then follows him into adulthood when he realizes he can't run forever. This sounds good. Now, it does. we are seeing a bit of a pattern. We've got Cranky Luke and how he comes back into action. We've got Cranky Kenobi now, I think. You know, how has he brought it back into action? And now we've got uh, Cranky Cassian. Um, so, I mean, what else can you do, really? Um, that's... Maybe just how it has to be. But it does sound a little bit overly familiar, but whatever. Let's, let's uh, see how it goes. Um, yeah, so again, quote from Gilroy. His adopted home will become the base of our whole first season, and we watch that place become radicalized. Then we see another planet that's completely taken apart in a colonial kind of way. The empire is expanding rap rapidly. They're wiping out anybody who's in their way. That sounds cool. I think that um, 
like I want to see the empire being the empire. I love that. Um, I want to see why we're supposed to not like them. Um, and I also think that really we're we're all still living in the shadow of colonialization. Colonization, sorry. <laughs> Whichever colonization, I believe is the correct word. We're all still living in the shadow of that, whether we are aware of it or not. And I think it's interesting to, for that to get um, explored to some degree. Um, okay, one of the there's a there's a bunch of photos. Go and look at them. Uh, one of the great things is that you see Cassin Andor, and you also get Mon Mothma, played by the great Genevieve O'Reilly, who um, was in um, you know the deleted scenes for Revenge of the Sith. Unfortunate that 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 stuff ended on the ended up on the cutting room floor because she was great, fantastic that I got, that I got her back for for Rogue One because she I mean that's a ten out of ten recast, fantastic recast. A word we will be getting back to later. <clears throat> anyway, great to see Mon Mothma um, included in this article. Um, sh- that actress, she nails it. I can't wait. Um, here we go, another quote. It is a huge orchestral Dickensian ensemble cast, says Gilroy. That sounds cool. I like the sound of that. Man, I'm pumped for, the, for Andor. Like... As a character, I feel like he was, I mean, as with most of the Rogue One characters, to be honest, I feel like they were more like chess pieces that were just moved around to make the story go rather than um, people that I fell in love with. Um, but still, like, I think the um, the potential is was absolutely there with Andor. Um, he's cool. Uh, so I want to see more of him. So I think this is going to be cool. Yeah. So, um, very interesting. Now, what's coming up next? Let's see. Ah, all right. (laughs) Now, you know, I I really love The Last Jedi. It has some stuff I'm not so super hot on. So, when you know, um, I'd be up for him, Ryan Johnson, coming and doing this trilogy that got announced. Seems like decades ago at this point. Um, in a way, I'm like, well, there were some things thematically and aesthetically that to me were not spot on. So do I really want to see his Star Wars again? But I just think the quality is there and the depth is there and the thought is is there. And whatever he does will be pretty amazing and interesting um, in in lots of ways, whatever he, he he chooses to do with Star Wars in the future, but um, yeah. So when Ken, in this article, Kennedy Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, was asked about um, Ryan Johnson's films, and she said they are on the back burner. Apparently, he's very busy with Knives Out, and he's also inked a deal with um, Netflix to do films for them. <laughs> What I mean, what does that mean, really? Um, man, that's a bit. It's a bit disappointing. Would have been cool to get a bit more solid information on that. But it's interesting. Like I mean, this she says 
this. Anyone who comes into the Star Wars universe needs to know that it's a three, four, five-year commitment. That's what it takes. You can't step in for a year and shoot something and then walk away. It requires that kind of nurturing. Um, yeah. I think it, is, this what, is this what's happening when it comes to finding people to really um, spearhead the next uh, era in terms of big screen Star Wars? Is it too intimidating? Do people not want to touch it because they they just don't want to deal with the fan base and the expectations? Do people not want to hand over that many years of their life to something that they can't necessarily be completely in control over? Hmm. It's interesting. It'd be very unfortunate if great filmmakers were kind of... Um, not getting involved because of uh, the in the situation. Yeah. Okay. Um, they talk a little bit. Ah, oh, look at this photo. All right. So, as a if you've ever listened to me before, the thing I like, like least in all of Star Wars was the Anakin Skywalker we got in the prequels. And I don't blame Hayden Christensen. Um, um, but it still is something that bothers me to this day. Uh, but you know what? There is a photo in this article of Hayden Christensen just in his normal clothes except for a cape practicing with Ewan McGregor's stunt double. It is an awesome photo. I've said it before. It's all about silhouettes and shapes, and this photo captures it perfectly. Hayden looks incredible. Who knows? What if he what if he turns this around? What if whatever he does in the Kenobi show just makes me suddenly go, I like this Hayden Christensen. I would love that for that to be the case. Right now, it's basically a very simple, no, I don't like what they do to the character. I don't like those films. I don't like his performance that's it I wouldn't mind being able to throw that at the end of the sentence but he was fantastic in Kenobi let's see what happens alright it's interesting here they talk about how you know now you just go like well Baby Yoda of course so it was a license to print money and blah 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 but that was not an of course at all um, that was a big risk actually it totally paid off and uh, But Filoni here talks about um, that. He says, I think people now look back and think it was like a slam dunk, but we were very cautious. The amount of measuring, especially in the first season, for how we were framing this kid took a lot of effort. Thank God they, um, they did that because, uh, man, they, they really nailed it. All right. Uh, let's see. What else have we got here? Okay, they talk about, you know, stagecraft and the volume and blah, blah, blah. That's all very nice. Um, all right. It's, uh, this was a bit <laughs> a tough quote from Ewan McGregor about the prequels. Um, talking about the uh, less than positive reviews. It was hard because it was such a huge decision to do them. So I think he talked, uh, yeah, he, okay. So what he's, I'll start again. He says this, I really questioned it a lot. 
I felt like I was part of this new wave of British cinema, really, and that Star Wars wasn't me. That's not what I stood for. I was this sort of urban, grungy, independent film actor. Yeah. So, he goes on. It was hard because it was such a huge decision to do them, such a big event. It was quite difficult for all of us to deal with that. Also knowing you've got a couple more to do. Yeah, so you do one, you weren't even, you're not even sure if you should be doing it. You do one, critics slam it, fans slam it. And you know you've got two entire films of this to go. Ooh, that must have been tough. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I still, I, it, blow, I still blow, it blows me away that people feel like those films are like good Star Wars um, but come on, Tom, be happy for the generation that loves them and for everyone, whatever age they are, who loves them. Uh, but yep, that's all cool. There's more, there's a bunch of meat coming up. Just wait. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so they're talking to Rosero Dawson about it. Um, blah, blah, blah. That's not that interesting. Ahsoka, it's going to be cool. It's going to be about Thrawn and all that. So that's interesting. All right. Let's get to it. This is the quote that has caused a bit of controversy on the old internet. I'm going to read directly from the article. The 2018 movie Solo explored Han Solo's younger years with Alden Ehrenreich taking on the role of Smuggler, originated by Harrison Ford. The film has its admirers, but it made less at the box office than any other live-action Star Wars movie. Solo's swagger may be too singular for another actor to replicate. Quote from Kathleen Kennedy. Here we go. There should be moments along the way when you learn things. Now it does seem so abundantly clear that we can't do that. Uh, as a super fan of the film Solo, that really sucks to hear. Like, I think, like, the reasons why that movie wasn't a hit, like, it's a bit of a soup. There's a few ingredients there that cause that to happen um yeah a lot of people maybe didn't really want to accept a new actor playing Han Solo um but I, I'll say it again they pulled off a minor miracle in um, recasting one of the most iconic characters in the history of cinema and people did, like there was no consensus of like this sucks in fact the majority of people said he's he's great he's doing doing a great job of it and I personally love him in that film. So, and it's also quite uh, hilarious because they're promoting a show that features a recast character. So it can be done. I don't know. That, that's disappointing to read. I just, I love Alden's Han. I really want to see him again. This sounds like they just won't dare. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about The Acolyte. That's another show I'm really excited about. Let's read from the article. 
Another upcoming series, The Acolyte, reportedly starring Amanda Stenberg. Now, I've not seen her in anything. I looked her up. She's very good looking. <laughs> That's all I know so far. Okay, starring Amanda Stenberg aims to do that. The show is in the casting phase, but the writing is largely complete, says showrunner Leslie Headland, co-creator of the time-looping Netflix show Russian Doll. Isn't that awesome? The writing is mostly complete. That's exciting to hear. She has been planning it for two years, mostly from the confines of her home. Her dog and cat, who peek in curiously from the background of Zoom conversations, are certainly steeped in the concept of the galaxy's High Republic era, she says. But casual Star Wars fans who haven't been following the recent novels and comics might still be unaware. Yeah, so we knew it was in the, in the High Republic. Let's continue. The Acolyte, Headland says, takes, part, takes place roughly 100 years before The Phantom Menace. A lot of those characters haven't even been born yet. This is a quote. A lot of those characters haven't even been born yet. We're taking a look at the political and personal and spiritual things that came up in a time period that we don't know much about. My question when watching The Phantom Menace was always like, well, how did things get to this point? How did we get to a point where a Sith Lord can infiltrate the Senate and none of the Jedi pick up on it? Like, what went wrong? What are the scenarios that led us to this moment? That's a cool thing, man. Oh, I just think this has massive potential. This could be super exciting. Let's continue. Hedlund describes The Acolyte as a mystery thriller set in a prosperous and seemingly peaceful era when the galaxy is still sleek and glistening. We actually use the term the Renaissance or the Age of Enlightenment, she says. Jedi were not always ascetic monk-like figures living selflessly and bravely. The Jedi uniforms are gold and white, and it's almost like they would never get dirty. They would never be out and about, Hedlund says. The idea is that they could have these types of uniforms because that's how little they're getting into skirmishes. Yeah, interesting. Now, let's talk about this. I don't like those uniforms. <laughs> yeah, I... You know, I already didn't like the, the bright and shiny look of the prequels. Um, and this was like a step even further in that direction. I kind of really, in my head, want to see the Jedi as these kind of like road-worn travelers. So these kind of pristine white and gold robes, it's just, to me, that's not Jedi Knight. Um, also, they're talking about... Um, the, she says, the galaxy is still sleek and glistening. Oh, sorry, the article says to me. Okay, not her, but the article. Um, yeah, I don't know about that, man. I mean, I think that, like, uh, special effects-wise and design-wise, probably what they, they will go for will be more my cup of tea than the prequels were, in theory. I mean, I just love the used universe look, or the used future look of Star Wars, and that's one of the things I really didn't like about the prequels, so I guess this is going to be more of that, which kind of bothers me. But because it's not going to be in dodgy late 90s, early 2000s CG, maybe it's going to be more my, to my taste. Let's find out. 
Yeah, but um, I'm I'm super excited about that show. I just you know I've said it before. I I was a massive fan of the first season of Russian Doll. I haven't started the second season yet. Um, I just think that she's a, a massive talent and a massive Star Wars fan, and this could be something really special. All right, the, now they also get into something that was more rumored. Um, this is a project with the code name Grammar Rodeo. Um, let's uh, read from the article. The show takes place during the post Return of the Jedi reconstruction that follows the fall of the Empire, the same as The Mandalorian, but its plot remains a secret. It's created and executive produced by director John Watts and writer Chris Ford, who made Spider-Man Homecoming for Marvel. Now, that's very cool. I had heard that they were talking to John Watts about directing an episode here or there or something. That was the rumor. If they're actually putting him in charge uh, as the creator and executive producer of a show, that's really cool. Um, if they've got the writer who did Spider-Man Homecoming, which was a cracker film, that's great news again. Um, a casting, here we go, let's continue. A casting notice has called for four children around 11 to 12 years old. Inside Lucasfilm, the show is being described as a galactic version of classic Amblin coming-of-age adventure films of the 80s. Woo! That sounds good. To me, that sounds like Star Wars sweet spot. I can't wait for that. Um, now, yeah, I'm going to say the, the future of Star Wars on the small screen looks bright. If they can like keep building on um, their ability to make it look expensive despite the lower budget that they're dealing with, then I'm going to be pretty happy, I think. Um, I think, you know, with The Mandalorian and Boba Fett, there are some things, you know, things I love and things I love less. But I think overall, if I could change one thing, it would be like, I would like this to just take that final step up into in visual scale and quality to being actually indistinguishable from the films. Um, they are close and they will be remembered as landmarks in the quest for this, you know. Perhaps one day when it comes to this kind of like uh, Rolls-Royce gold stand, you know, uh, top shelf big event TV, um, I feel like these Star Wars shows are going to be um, very important stepping stones on the path to being able to do that. And when I think of, you know, I think of, uh, especially when you look at Game of Thrones episodes, like the uh, the second to last episode of the of the last season or the Battle of the Bastards or whatever, to me, that stuff did look like cinema. And I think Star Wars will probably get there somehow. Um, which leaves us to wonder what on earth is going on with the films. I get a bit surprised sometimes when I see people being like, oh, I don't even care if they do films anymore. I love the TV shows and I love that long form format. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? It's Star Wars. That's Star Wars. Movies is what Star Wars is. 
Like I know there are like generations who grew up on the on uh, with the Clone Wars and stuff, and that's their Star Wars. But I just like how can you not be hungry to see Star Wars on the big screen? To me, nothing hits like that. All right, Let, I'm going to read straight from the article here because this is all pretty interesting. All right, here we go. We have a roadmap, Kennedy says. Although Lucasfilm's big screen return is unlikely to follow the same relentless cadence as before. Yeah, they talked about how they did five films in five years or whatever it was and how that was probably not the best approach. Okay. A movie from Jojo Rabbit's Taika Waititi and 1917 screenwriter Christy Wilson Cairns will likely arrive first. Isn't that interesting? I don't think that was the plan a year or two ago. With Rogue Squadron from Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins further off. Is it true that Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige will produce a Star Wars film? Quote, I would love to see what movie he might come up with, Kennedy says. But right now, no, there isn't anything specifically. What? <laughs> uh? Okay, here's an article from September 25th, 2019 from The Hollywood Reporter. This is not some bullshit website. They are a pretty trusted um, news source when it comes to Hollywood stuff. I'm going to read. This is from 2019. Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy, quote, is pursuing a new era in Star Wars storytelling and knowing what a diehard fan Kevin is, it made sense for these two extraordinary producers to work on a Star Wars film together, end quote. Walt Disney Studios co-chairman Alan Horn tells The Hollywood Reporter. What? Here's another quote from Alan Horn. We are excited about the projects Kathy and the Lucasfilm team are working on, not only in terms of Star Wars, but also Indiana Jones and blah, 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 blah. With the close of the Skywalker saga, Kathy is pursuing a new era in Star Wars storytelling, and knowing what a diehard fan Kevin is, it made sense for these two extraordinary processes. Okay, we already heard that. What? So is Kathleen Kennedy now acting as if like there never was a Feige film? Alan Horn said there was, and that was. Uh, my brother's just walking in. Hey, Sartre, how you doing? Good. There you go. Monty's first uh, appearance on a podcast. What do you say? Oh, good stuff. So that's pretty weird, I have to say. Um, I'm a d big defender of Kathleen Kennedy. I think, you know, um, taking over Lucasfilm, <laughs> who among us uh, would really know what the hell to do in that situation. I think she's been doing a good job. Those five movies are really good, um, despite, you know, flaws here and there. I think they're awesome. Um, but when she says stuff like this... Uh, <laughs> And again, like this is an article. There's a, I'm sure there's a lot missing. You, you, you're not hearing the complete context of what she's saying. But uh -huh. I thought that was confirmed. That was like it was the head of Disney who said that they were working on one, and now she's acting like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? That is weird. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. But um, yes, okay, let's finish off with a nice quote here. She says, um, 
Yeah, so she was looking at some... Uh, she rec- received the Milestone Award from the Producers Guild of America and something happened to her while watching the video montage. The clips of the pair, meaning Kathleen Kennedy and George Lucas, over the decades included a shirtless Lucas in a squirt gun battle with Steven Spielberg and Kennedy and Lucas joking around in a production-disrupting downpour. Quote, What I was so taken with is how much fun we were having, she says. It amounted to this moment of realisation. I do think a little bit of fun has gone out of making these gigantic movies. The business, the stakes, everything that's been infused in the last 10 years or so. There's a kind of spontaneity and good time that we have to be careful to preserve. I keep holding on to it better be fun. Hmm. I think that's a a good approach. So, some really nice stuff in that article. A couple of what kind of uh, moments. Um, But uh, good to at least have something, you know, um, some idea that, that, you know, things are moving forward. Um, Yeah. All right. Good stuff. I reckon it's time to play a bit of What's That Song? All right. Huh. Okay. I mean, I it's I know it, and I just I can't quite pick it. Let's wait for the main motif to drop in. Rise of Skywalker? No, it's The Force Awakens. Ray meets BB-8. Ah, oh, I was way off. This is really nice, though. I mean, John Williams, baby. I'm really looking forward to hearing his theme for Kenobi. Also, I'm pretty pumped about... Um, So the woman who did the soundtrack for Loki, which was killer, is doing the soundtrack for Kenobi. So very exciting. Can't wait. I mean, what's the approach going to be? It's not um, Ludwig Jaronsson, so going to be very different, I guess. All right, let's go to the next one. Dramatic. Hmm. No, I'm not. Hmm. No, not really sure at all. It is from Solo. Okay. Huh. It's called Testing Allegiance. Yeah? Cool. Whoa, I like this one. Mm. Moody goodness. Love it. 
having trouble picking where it's from though. I don't think I'm gonna, I gotta look. Okay, this is from New Hope. The princess appears. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Probably could have waited another five seconds and just uh, heard that this uh, melody right here. I mean, come on, listen to that. That'll never stop being amazing. Mm. Gold. Gold, Jerry! Gold! Alright, let's do just one more. Damn. This is straight out of Return of the Jedi. I don't know what the track is called, but this is... You know, the Rebel Fleet. Heading into battle against the second Death Star. The, the Imperial Fleet. That was called. It's called Into the Trap. Mm-hmm. This is... Um, ah. So good, man. I love how, like, John Williams expands. Oh, listen to this. But I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, what I was going to say is I love how John Williams expands the... Um, you know, the palette of, of uh, Star Wars musically every time um, with every new film, you know. Um, there's always something new and cool in each one. All right. Uh, good listening there. Let's get on with The Last Jedi. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm in the right place here. It's we've got Poe. Yeah, get this man off my bridge. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. <laughs> a controversial section. Ah, oh, look at this. Hyperspace always looks amazing. Uh, okay, we've got this part when uh, Finn and Rose are talking to Poe. <laughs> That's a good line. Did you find the po the code breaker? We found a code breaker. <laughs> That's great. I love this little section, actually. You got to see Ray putting the books away. The sacred Jedi text. She's jumping into this uh, escape pod. If you see Finn before I do, tell him. Yeah, perfect. Tell him that. I wonder what that was, huh? All right. <laughs> it does seem very uh, a little bit naive for her to be sending herself into the lion's den like this, but... Um, You know, when you feel called to something. Ah, just these shots. Like, I mean, you don't see people talk about this shot that often. Of um, the Falcon dropping off Ray and then hooning off into hyperspace. And then, I mean, look at this. That hangar bay looks super good. It's, it's almost like ridiculous large, but you know, that's what they're going for. Great shot. This silhouette of Ray looks amazing. Look at this very menacing the smoke clears Kylo Ren's face is this the moment that he's gonna be like oh I'm so glad you're here nah he just walks off without a word and the troopers are there with the handcuffs brutal things are already not going the way they should <laughs> I love this shot of like the code break his 
fingers just like dancing over the buttons, like almost like a spider. It's cool. It does like kind of get, give you the idea, like this guy is okay. This this imperial off this what, imperial first order officer, very suave. I like this slick back hair, very nice. All right, uh, yeah. See again, this is what's fun when you. Oh my god. I'm not I'm not surprised she's mad here. Poe <laughs> I love you buddy, but come on. This was stupid. But this is a cool pulling the the guns come out. It was a cool idea, I think, you know. Cuz you got to throw a runner, a spanner in the works. You can't just have the good guys just floating around being all good all the time and getting along all the time, can you? Now this, this is a bit on the edge, I think. You have this thing, you know, it looks like a ship landing, but it's actually an iron, because you're, you're, they're in this, like, the uniform laundry department or whatever of Snoke's ship. Yeah, apparently it was a reference to, um, what was it called? There was, it was like a fan movie from the 70s, I believe. It was one of the first ones. Can't remember. All right, we've got BB-8 hiding in a garbage bin. Okay. This droid, it's like an evil BB-8. My uh, student and friend, Joe, uh, from, the, from Ukraine, he loves this droid. Not sure what it is about this droid that really connects. He and his wife both love that guy. All right. Ah, oh, this is cool. Check this out. Actually, Kylo Ren's face looks a bit funny. He looks a bit like you're This is so interesting. This is the danger. This is the danger of following these visions. You both see the same thing, but interpret it in completely different ways. It's very cleverly done. Hmm. Of course, that you got to think a bit, uh, reflect a bit on the uh, that choice there of uh, you know. I saw who your parents were, and then and how that all turned out. But yeah, it's still cool. Now. We're going to pause there because we're heading into the uh, the whole throne room scene, which deserves to just we got to do that as a single piece because it's hot hot Star Wars action. All right, that's going to be enough for today. Uh, yeah, I think the next time I record will be to talk about the first two episodes of Kenobi. So that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, thanks for listening. My name is Tom Sutton, and this is Monty. Nailed it.